one of the commitments that we have made here at Westridge is to never skirt around the truth, no matter how uncomfortable that truth may be. And so when the topic of divorce comes up, there's no question that as a divorced person, I'm the one who should grab the topic, get into the hot seat, and not avoid the conversation. So to be honest with you, this is not like a fun message for me this morning. Um, As I have said many times, that when we make a decision to follow Jesus, the only thing that we have that we can base that decision on is the Bible. Right? There's nothing else that causes us to follow Jesus other than the Bible. And so if we make that decision, we're making the decision that we're accepting the Bible as our source of truth, and that is what is going to drive our life. And so once we cross that line, we don't get to pick and choose what part of the Bible we want to believe in and which part we don't. And I believe that while we may not always have to agree with everything, because I certainly don't at times, we have to accept it. All of it or none of it. And so the cold hard truth about divorce and remarriage is addressed directly by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19. When some Pharisees come to him to test him, and they ask him, Jesus, is it unlawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus replies, haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God joined together, let no one separate. Sound familiar? So Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew takes us back to Genesis. He takes us back to the very beginning of how things were intended to be to help us to understand that marriage is something that is deeply spiritual. And it began in the Garden of Eden. And so in case you're wondering why we have a desire, even though we don't maybe have a desire, to be married so much, it's because from the very beginning, God said it is not good for the man to be alone. And so He created us to be together. We were created for it, and we have a belief that marriage is a sacred thing. And it should be nothing that is ever taken lightly. So the Pharisees say, well, if that is the case, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and then send her on her way? And Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, then it's better not to marry. (laughs) 
Now, that is just such a funny line to me because the disciples aren't even in the conversation. It's a conversation between <laughs> Jesus and the Pharisees and he's like, you know, having this little debate and all of a sudden the disciples hear Jesus drop this on them and they go, wait, wait a minute. Dang, Jesus, we, we might as well never get married in the first place if we can't get out of it. So, as you can tell, there's a lot of stuff going on. And as Jesus is beginning, as we talked about on Easter, as Jesus is beginning to revolutionize religion, this was a huge bombshell that was dropped, not just on the Pharisees, but on everybody. I mean, there was a shock value to, for everybody when Jesus comes out and says, divorce is no longer allowed. And he's taking marriage back to the original intent to the beginning of time, to be what it was intended by God to be, where the two become one flesh. I would love to be able to sit up here this morning and to tell you that the Bible is not clear about this point. And perhaps I could take the excuse and say, well, it's a cultural issue that Jesus was addressing at the time. I could twist or manipulate the scripture to try and make myself look better. But I'm just not sure how else you can interpret what it is he's saying. It's pretty clear to me. Is it clear to you? And so I can't sit up here and make any excuses for the mistakes of my past. And so as a divorced person, I take full responsibility for my failed marriage. And as uncomfortable as it is for me to say, I sinned. And if that wasn't uncomfortable enough, I also have to admit that because I remarried, according to Jesus, I am also considered to be an adulterer. That doesn't roll off your tongue. The reality is that there is no gray area as it relates to divorce and remarriage. And you cannot candy coat this stuff. The bottom line is that God hates divorce. And you can see why, right? I mean... It rips up the very foundation from beneath you, and it wreaks havoc on your life, emotionally and spiritually, financially, physically. And not just in your life, but in the lives of your kids and your extended family and your friends. Divorce is one of the nastiest things that you could ever go through, and I totally see why God has made it a sin. Because the things that God outlaws and calls sin are for our own protection. The sins that God calls out are those things which go against the very design of the way God created us to live our lives. And when we go against the design of God's creation, We will never find the kind of joy and fulfillment that he created us to have. And in the case of marriage, we were created to be bone of my bones, 
and flesh of my flesh. And yet, the divorce rate in America still appears to be hovering around 50%. And so as we try to get onto the other side of divorce, which I know a lot of us have, I have a few things that I've learned from my own personal experience that I'd like to share with you with the few minutes that we have remaining. And this just scratches the surface, but just a few things I'd like to talk about. And the first one is this. Don't let your past hold you back from creating a new reality in your life. I have the belief that while divorce and remarriage is a sin, it is not an unpardonable sin. To give you my one-minute theological perspective, I have what would be considered to be a redemptive view of this issue, which is based on what I know and what I read about in the Bible about the grace of God and salvation. And so this view upholds the sanctity and biblical standard of a lifelong commitment in marriage. And it recognizes that divorce is as a result of the sin of one or both partners. What this view refuses to do is to put divorce into a special category of sin as if it's especially heinous or something. And so I believe that while I am a man who has sinned, I am also a man who has been forgiven. And I can move on. And I can leave my past in my past because of what Jesus did for me. Now I recognize that I walk a fine line here because in no way do I want to come across flippantly about how easy it is to move past it or try to justify divorce, or somehow make it okay. Because it's not. But what I am saying is this is consistent with the rest of the Christian theology, which is that in order to move forward in our lives, we own our mistakes. We own up to it. We take responsibility for our sin by repenting of the things that we have done, and we ask God for forgiveness making a commitment to live differently moving forward. But for goodness sakes, move forward. Don't stay stuck in the muck and mire of guilt. Don't let your past hold you back from having the brilliant future that God has in store for you. Now, this becomes increasingly difficult to get past because, amazingly, there is still a stigma that is attached to divorced people. When I went through my divorce, I was personally judged by a whole lot of people. And especially, as you can imagine in my position at the church, my divorce was a very, very public thing. And not only did I go through a time of depression as a result of going through my divorce, but I also experienced this time of real shame 
because of people openly judging and gossiping about me. And it was very hurtful. And no matter how strong you think you are, you can't help but be affected by those things. And I know that a lot of you have experienced some of the same things, and it makes it really, really difficult to get to the other side of divorce in a healthy way because that kind of stuff just beats you down and makes you feel very, very alone. So for those of us who know somebody who is going through a divorce, I would say this. We have no right to judge anybody. We have no idea what went on in that marriage. We have no idea what went on behind those closed doors. But what we do know is that this is an incredibly lonely time for those people, and they need our love and our support. A lot of people, like me, tend to go underground. And when you're going through it because you just feel like you can't trust anybody and you don't know who your friends are. And so what they need to know is that you will be there for them, you will stand by their side, and that you will still be their friend because, again, they don't know who their friends are and they need to hear it from you. If there were a small minority of people out there who were haters and judges, the vast majority of people were incredibly supportive. And I can't imagine going through what I went through without the love and support of this community, of this church. This has been an amazing place of healing for me. And I hope that you know that if you are going through something similar, that Westridge is a place, a safe place, for you to heal as well. And we got your back. And I'll make darn sure of it. So the bottom line is, after you confess to God your part in the marriage failure, and you receive his forgiveness, in other words, you go through the steps of repentance, then pick up the pieces. Lift your head up. Go on with your life. Don't worry about what small people have to say. Just shake that stuff off and move forward. The next thing that I've learned is that we want to make sure that we don't repeat the same bad patterns, right? Just because you are divorced doesn't mean that all of a sudden all of your problems suddenly just disappear. Your issues are your issues. And it is very realistic that we can carry our issues from our previous marriage into our next marriage. And we've got to figure out how to not make that happen. I remember when Shelby and I were first married, it was almost like we were experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder or something because one of us would say something or do something that would trigger something from our past, from our previous 
marriage, and we would fly off the handle almost inappropriately to the point that the other person is like sitting there scratching their head going, what in the world just happened? Because what we were doing was we were slinging our baggage from our past into our bedroom, and it just wasn't working. And so we have to learn how to trust each other in those areas. We have to learn how to give each other the benefit of the doubt, which, by the way, applies to all of us, whether we're divorced or not. If the same patterns or behaviors and issues pop up that were from your previous marriage and they pop up again in your second marriage, here's your sign. Right? It's a pretty good indication that those issues are probably your issues. And you have carried them in to your next marriage. This is where we finally realize, and again, this applies to all of us. This is where we finally realize that I can't change my husband. I can't change my wife. I can only change myself. I can't control what they do. I can only control what I do. And so what I need to do is to admit where I'm off. Admit to the issues that I have and the baggage that I bring into the marriage is 50% of the problem. And I just need to focus in on my half of the equation. We ask for God's help to remove these character defects. And we do the work that we need to do to overcome my issues that are causing our marriage to deteriorate. Because the only thing that I have control over is me. And when we begin to change, our half, it affects the marriage. One of the common issues in remarriage that I just want to hit really quickly is when we let the poison of our past into our new home in the form of the resentment that we have for our ex-husband or our ex-wife. We have to take responsibility for our part in the failed marriage. It takes two. And if we let that resentment build for our ex, it will do harm in our relationship moving forward. We have to be able to let that resentment for our ex go. Now, this becomes increasingly difficult when you are still sharing custody of kids because the issues that you had with that person are still there and you have to deal with that on a regular basis. And so we have to learn that we can't control what happens over there at that house. We can only control what happens over here in my home and I and making a commitment that it will be different. But if our home is full of resentment for that person, you aren't doing anything of any value for your family. If your resentment and bitterness for your ex persist, it will create a toxic environment in your family, and it can cause serious damage. And relationships, new relationships, have ended as a result of that. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying go out and become best friends with your ex. 
I'm not saying that you shouldn't have good boundaries, because you should. What I am saying is that we have to let that resentment go, because that bitterness can eat away with us and create more issues in our remarriage. Because the reality is this. The divorce rate for second marriages increases from 50% to 65%. And the divorce rate for third marriages is a staggering 73%. After we screw up the first time, the odds are against us ever living happily ever after. And now we have to work twice as hard. And I think there's a lot of possibilities as to why this is, but not the least of it is once you open the door to divorce, it is very easy to walk through it again. And that's why I can't emphasize enough that we have to keep the door to divorce shut. We cannot see divorce as an escape hatch when times get tough. Which brings me to the last lesson that I've learned. And that is for all of us. Because there's a lot of us that may not be divorced, but we're in a struggling marriage. And we're having difficult times. But all of us need to get a new vision for marriage. When we go back to the creation account, and we see what God created marriage to be, we get a vision for what our marriage can become. That we can be flesh of my flesh. Two people who are so close, so intimate with each other, they they can't imagine life without the other. That's a vision worth changing for. That's a a marriage worth giving my all for. Can you imagine what our marriages would be like if our first instinct would be to give our husband or our wife grace instead of a good jab? Or to give our spouse the benefit of the doubt always? And to be the first to say, I'm sorry. To be the first to forgive. To be the first to hug it out. To be the first to hold a hand when you're both dug in and stubborn and angry. To love with a love that is full of grace creates a new level of intimacy and marriage like we never dreamed possible. After my divorce, I have to tell you, I was scared to death to get married again. I was very afraid. I never thought I would get married again. I was afraid that I'd make the same mistake. But I'll never forget the day that I realized that Shelby was the right person for me. I went with her on a business trip to Spain, and we were on this beautiful island out in the Mediterranean, and But as our dating relationship became more serious, I started getting pretty nervous. Scared, in fact. 
And so while I had her as a captive audience for several days on planes and different places, I started just interrogating her almost, asking her, bombarding her with questions like you wouldn't believe about all the stuff that I was scared about and wanted to avoid. Really important stuff like, do you think that you'll get mad at me if I don't make my bed in the morning? But there came this moment when all of a sudden I knew she was the one. Which, by the way, was the exact same moment that she knew that she needed to get the heck out of this relationship because I was driving her crazy with all these questions. (laughs) Thank God she was stuck on an island with me. But that moment when I knew, like, I could not wait to ask her to marry me. And so I spontaneously decide that I am going to ask her that night at dinner. And there was just one problem. I didn't ring, right? So while she's away at meetings, I jump into a taxi, and I went from jewelry store to jewelry store looking for the perfect diamond ring. But nothing seemed right. But then, at the last jewelry store I went to, in the corner of the case, I saw it. There was this black diamond ring that was created by a local artist, and I knew that was it. Now, for those of you who don't know, a black diamond is actually created by all the imperfections that you actually try to keep out of a white diamond. Like, all of those imperfections come together and form the most beautiful stone, and it is the toughest natural diamond that you can find, but absolutely beautiful. And so, when I asked her that evening to marry me, I wrote a letter talking about the fact that we were like this black diamond, that all of our imperfections and the mistakes of our past We're coming together if we would become one flesh and create something not only beautiful, but something stronger than we've ever known. And I got down on one knee, and I asked her to marry me, and I presented her with this black diamond as an engagement ring. And thank God, he is the God of second chances. Because she said yes. And God has blessed me with an incredible wife who's an amazing mother who has taught me a lot about love and life and parenting. And we now have this very beautiful, very imperfect, flawed crazy, blended family of six, and I wake up every day grateful for the way that I've been blessed. We have a promise from God that from the ashes of us blowing up our lives, from our imperfections, from the mistakes of our past, that he will create something beautiful, something stronger inside of us. And while our marriages 
may be far from perfect. And at times we get frustrated with each other and we lose sight of what it's all about. Or we sling the baggage from our past out on the front room floor and we just tick each other off. We can still wake up every day grateful for the way that God has blessed us with this person. Because we can get a new vision for what this marriage is all about. But this person is the bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. As we grow old together.